0: Um, hey, I want to have you, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to turn on the, the mid lights there. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone or whatever you have that would um, help you look at Scripture, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. I think this is um, a phenomenally powerful passage of Scripture. I mean, it's like one of my favorite, out of all the other favorites I have. But Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Luke today. Um, and I want to just—I want you just to see a couple things that I think are really prominent in this in this text. So we're going to start in Luke chapter four. If you're new to your Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Okay, Luke. So probably the best name in the Bible. going to go there. John Zachary. Okay, so Luke chapter four, starting in verse uh, fourteen. We read these words. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This is just so you know, right after the temptation of Jesus. Jesus has been out in the desert, and he's been doing spiritual warfare, fasting, etc., and then he comes back. And so Jesus returns to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you have just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. They asked, they said, how can this be? They asked, isn't this Joseph's son? And then skipping down to Verse 22, uh, I'm sorry, verse 31, we're going to read from right there. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess? Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command." The news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick. By the way, Simon is Peter. So Peter, the the apostle, the disciple. Uh, Where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, Jesus rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Now, last week we started a sermon series uh, called Church Blueprint. And we're, we're in a sense, spending time, I think, kind of navigating this idea of what it's going to look like to get where we're going. You know? So we're talking about the, the direction we're heading, and then also what it's going to take to, to get there. And, and I think in many ways, um, what I'm wanting to do or hoping we can do is we, we can really um, press into some foundational truths about the kingdom of God that I think are very unique for um, our church community. And also, I think, practically speaking, how those things flesh out. Um, I, I'm really committed to this idea of whether or not we can just talk about the Bible or we can actually put it into practice. Because I'm convinced that we're not supposed to just know a lot about the Bible, but we're supposed to put it into practice. Okay? And so like, I'm always thinking when we come to the text of Scripture, I want to know what it meant. You know, I want to do my exegesis and I want to study it in its original languages if we can or really... Understand what the original author meant. But then I also want to think about, well, what does that look like living it out? You know, like, well, how do we put this into practice? Because, I mean, all over the Bible, we read things like James saying that we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word, right? Like, it's not enough just to know things. It's not just enough to know things. So we've always, I think that's something that's kind of um, important for vineyard churches in general is that we want to be able to both wrestle with the theological implications of a text, but then think about how we flesh that out and how we live it out in our own lives. And so that's kind of what we're going to be doing this, uh, in this sermon series. But in order for us to understand a blueprint for the church, I think we have to start with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the idea of the kingdom. I mean, this is the central message of Jesus. Listen to what he said, Jesus he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns, too, because this is why I, I was sent. So why did Jesus come? He came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Right? The kingdom of God is, in, in fact, I, I we could seriously start right here in, in Luke chapter 4 and work right through the entire gospel. And everywhere we'll see over and over again Jesus teaching about kingdom of God. It is the central theme of everything that Jesus was about. And so think about this for a minute. Jesus says that he came to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He says, that's why I came. My purpose is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And so I would would offer this idea that I think that if that's Jesus' primary ministry, then the church's primary ministry should also be to preach that same message. I think we should be just as centered on and focused on the kingdom of God as anybody else out there. And so we need to spend some time thinking about the kingdom. In fact, as I was kind of laying out a, an outline for us to talk about over the next few weeks, it's, you know, we started out with the introduction, which we did last week, why a blueprint matters. We can lean into the hope that Jesus said, I will build my church, right? He says that, so we have some hope from that. And then if, if we're going to go right to the next thing that's foundational, I think it's the kingdom. Then we need to talk about people because people are what make up the church. Then we need to talk about ministry and what that looks like. But we can't move off of the subject of the kingdom because the kingdom of God is so central to everything that we read in the New Testament. But here's the problem. When it comes to the subject of the kingdom of God, if we are honest, I, I think if we're honest, we find that we just don't know what to do with the kingdom of God. Like as Americans, we really don't know what to do with the subject of the kingdom. Um, For instance, if you try to define what the kingdom of God is, you're gonna find it's really hard and challenging to put a good definition to that um, if you just spend any time thinking about what it is and what it isn't. And I tend to think that the reason why you and I struggle to define the kingdom is because we live in a republic and we like the word democracy, right? Like we're watching this stuff happening in Ukraine and why are we all so frustrated and angry? Because there's, we're seeing freedom of expression and, and daily freedoms being being oppressed and taken away. And if, if I know anything about Americans, when we see that happen, what happens? We get riled up, don't we? We're like, you can't do that. So we're so influenced by, by democracy and the, and the political world that we live in that we really struggle to understand what a kingdom is. And so we read all these Bible verses about kingdom and we, and we oftentimes filter it through our American, our American worldview and our political discourse that we live in right now. And I just want to go on record. I like being American. I like having freedom of expression. I like being able to eat tacos any day that I want. Okay. Can we all just say amen to that? I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to be American. All right. However... We really need to think about what Jesus means when he says that the gospel of the kingdom of God is the reason, preaching that is why he came, because we need to think about what it is to be a kingdom. England, for instance, has a monarchy, but it's not a true kingdom, right? There's two things that you have to have. In order to have a true kingdom, I think there's two things you have to have. So if you wanna know what a kingdom is, there's two things. Number one is you have to have a sovereign. There has to be a king, right? there has to be a sovereign king in that kingdom. And secondarily, there has to be subjects. There have to be, there have to be people who look at that sovereign as the king or the queen, right? And so, so the question that we're gonna wrestle with a little bit right now is what is the kingdom of God? What exactly is it? And, and I've heard a lot of different definitions over the years for what the kingdom is. I think our church backgrounds also can influence the way we think about what the church is for instance i have a lot of respect for the catholic tradition i've engaged with catholic theologians a lot in in the in catholic theology oftentimes the kingdom of god is positioned as the same thing as the church and so they're like synonymous terms like the kingdom of god and the church are like one and the same thing and they're completely united but that's not what we see in scripture either and, and i think that there's a danger if we equate the church with the kingdom it makes it really hard to hard to think uh, constructively or critically about dysfunctional churches, for instance, or really raise questions about whether or not we're doing things correctly if we if we think they're the same thing. So here's how I want to define kingdom. Okay, this is what I think Jesus means when he says, "I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God." This is what I think Jesus means. I think that the kingdom is all about the dynamic rule and reign of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are specifically talking about God's reign and his rule. It's the reign and the rule, and it's very dynamic. The kingdom of God is about God's will being done here on earth. Every time we pray the Lord's prayer, what do we say? We say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And so there's a connection between the kingdom coming and God's will and rule and reign being accomplished. That is how the New Testament defines and positions our understanding of the kingdom. Now, I I have to tell you right now, I've really watched this weird transition over the last 25 or 30 years. It's like the more... more, um, the dumbing down of society. Can we say that? Do you all know that's happening, right? Scroll, 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 right? Like that's happening. And so what we've done is we've lost sight of one of the central things to us, our identity as followers of Jesus, but especially in the vineyard movement. Like who we are as a church community, other churches will will say their centerpiece is one thing. Like for instance, there's some churches, if you ask them, what are you about? They say, we're all about God's love. Now, who here would disagree that God's love is important? <laughs> like, no, we all agree it's important too, right? But there's other churches that'll say we're all about God's sovereignty or we're all about God's God's mercy or grace or whatever it is. All of those things matter, but all of them are pieces of a kingdom of God theology. So our theology of the kingdom is very important to us here at the Vineyard. Now, I'm gonna tell you a little bit why it matters for us in a moment here, but I want us to, to know that like, when you think about what makes us the vineyard movement, like what, what separates us, not in a bad way, what makes us unique, it's our theology of the kingdom, okay? It's our theology of the kingdom that is, is unique. So here's what I wanna do for the, the duration of our talk this morning. I wanna talk about three practical aspects of the kingdom of God that you get from Luke four, and then also talk about why it matters for us. Because what my hope and goal for us is as a church community, is that as we move forward, when you think about what makes us what we are, what's unique about our approach to our practices is the kingdom. For example, let me just give you a really quick one. How many of you like the saying, come as you are"? Right? That's a big seller, I can tell by the way you dress, right? It's like, man, I like that one, that one's a good one. That whole idea of come as you are, you know what it actually is? It's come as you are, but don't stay as you are. That's the full vineyard value. And that value of come as you are is based on our theology of the kingdom. Because when you look at Jesus and you see the way that he interacts with human beings in the Gospels, have you ever noticed that Jesus is totally okay with eating meals with broken, messy sinners? All the time, right? He's not worried about people's appearances or their their reputations affecting him. He spends time with people all the time from all walks of life so that's a theology of the kingdom that we, we take that theology of the kingdom and we break it down into a practical way of talking about it come as you are but it's absolutely based on on a theology of the kingdom so here's what I want to do number one, when it comes to a practical aspect of the community of God, as I just said, the church is the community of the kingdom. the church is the community of the kingdom it is not the kingdom of God. We need to be really, really um, intentional about not confusing those two things. Like the vineyard is not the kingdom. We we are a community of the kingdom. We point to the king and kingdom, but we're not the kingdom. And if we're not if we're not if we don't do a good job of of distinguishing those things, I think that's the danger: is that you can get into cults, right? Because cults have this approach where. They're unable to be critiqued, right? Like you can't critique any of our our ideas because if you do that, you're critiquing the kingdom of God. And that is unhealthy. We need to distinguish between our local church and and whether or not we're functioning in a biblical, healthy way and and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's reign and rule. The church is just a community effect, amen? This, This is important for us to realize because people who have grown up in cults, and I've talked to many people, that's the difference. What, what, they're, what they're brainwashed, can we say that? They're brainwashed to believe is that the community that they grew up in was perfect because it's the kingdom of God. And for you to critique the actions and activities and things that the church did is considered bad. But we need to be able to evaluate those things. We need to evaluate our church in light of the kingdom of God, right? Like that's important. So we need to re- recognize that it's not the same thing. Number two, The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. This is probably one of the most important concepts for our church's identity. Let's just think about this for a minute. Every single week, people in this church community lay hands on people and pray for them to be healed. Why do we do that? Because of the theology of the kingdom. Jesus shows up on the scene. We saw in Luke chapter 4, his purpose was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. So how does he do that? He does it with his words and with his actions. One of his actions is to heal people. Did we all see that? Multiple people, they're healed. So what we've done for for decades now, they've been here 35, 38, 40 years, whatever, we've been able to say, we will pray for you to be healed because we believe the kingdom of God has broken into the world that we live. When Jesus came in the first coming in the first century he says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand it's it's coming it's breaking in and so every single time that we lay hands on somebody and we pray for them to be healed we are asking for the kingdom of God to come why because every time the kingdom comes God's will is God right rule and reign so we pray for, for things to happen because we believe that the kingdom is actually broken into our world. And so it's already here. It's it's now, right now, available to us. Now, here's the distinguishing part of this now and not yet. There's some churches that will tell you if you're not healed, the reason why you haven't been healed is because you're a sinner. Or they'll say, yeah, you just don't have enough faith. And so because of your lack of faith or because of your sin, You're not being healed, and if you would just figure those two things out, then you would get healed. In our theology, and I I wanna just tell you that I find that to be the worst theology out there. It's bad, 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 bad. Because if you have a mom who is watching her daughter die from cancer, and you tell her the reason why her daughter's not being healed is because she's a sinner, you should get punched in the face. I'm just gonna throw it out there, (laughs) okay? If it's pastorally insensitive, it's cruel. It is cool, And I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that so many times. Where I'm just like, oh, it's a train wreck theologically. Here's why theology matters right here. Okay? The kingdom is now and not yet. We live in this age, a tension, where the kingdom is breaking into this world. When Jesus says... Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here right now. We also see that we're in this place where the kingdom's not in its fullness. When does the kingdom come in its fullness? When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom in fullness. And that's in the future. So our theology is really important right here. We pray for people because we know that the kingdom is available. And absolutely faith matters and absolutely the way we live our lives matter. But when it comes to why people don't get healed, it might be because the kingdom of God is now and not yet, amen? So we have to really wrestle with the implications of those two things. And kingdom theology is super, super important because of that. So the grounds of our theology of healing, and and it gets to a bit to why God healed and why God sometimes doesn't heal. So each of the healings that happen in Luke chapter four are because Jesus is demonstrating the kingdom. Right? He's, he's demonstrating the kingdom. And so that leads us to number three. The kingdom of God is both preached and demonstrated. We saw that in, in Luke chapter four. Jesus says, I'm here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And he also demonstrates the good news of the kingdom. Does that make sense? It's really, really, really the grounds for it. This is what um, Paul says. I love this in 1 Corinthians 4.20. He says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of, it is living by God's power. Right? So it's it's not just a bunch of talk. It's actually a combination of words and works. Those things go together. And that's why we, we we have to do our part to not only say the things of the kingdom, but we have to do the things of the kingdom. It's both and let's stand up together. So here's what I think the implications of what we're getting at is, we don't have enough. T- we don't have time to go over every single component of the kingdom of God and the theology around that. I mean, there's tons of books that are all over on that. But here's what we do believe: is that anything that we need God to to do, what we're doing is we're asking for God's kingdom to come. Okay. And so, like, I'm going to assume in this room right now, there are needs for the kingdom of God to come. So anybody have a need where you need the kingdom to come? Just out of curiosity. I mean, you you know, whether it's healing or restoration or reconciliation or, you know, God, you need him just to do such a crazy big miracle, you don't even know where to start. All of those things are appeals for God's kingdom to break in. That's what we do every time we pray. And that's why in our, in our church's tradition, we say things like, come Holy Spirit, because the, the Holy Spirit is a, a sign and an evidence of God's kingdom breaking in. And so right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to, if you have something where you need God's kingdom to come, I want you to just put it right in your hands, right in front of you. You're just positioning that before the Lord. And we're going to ask for God's kingdom to, to come right now. so, Lord, would you, would your kingdom come right now? Would your rule and your reign in each one of these situations begin to manifest itself? The Bible says that it's by Jesus' stripes, that we've been healed. And uh, Matthew says that, and then Peter also uses that to talk about how we've been healed sal- sal- in salvation, we've healed by that. So every aspect of our healing, of our experience of God's presence is just attached to Jesus and the kingdom. And so I pray right now for every single need in this room that Jesus, your kingdom, would, would enter into every single one of those spaces And would bring freedom, would bring healing, would bring restoration, that all the goodness of your kingdom would, would be experienced right now. So with everybody's eyes closed right now, you know, as we've been standing here, maybe a number of you um, need to really experience the, the kingdom in a significant way. And I just have a sense that maybe there's a couple of you that there's some, like, real physical needs you have right now. And if that's you right now, I'd like to invite you to come forward because we're going to have some people pray for you. This is something we see in the Bible all over the place, people laying hands on each other. So if that's you right now, if you have any, any physical needs or emotional needs or um, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to come forward right now. We'd like to pray for you. some of our team members to come up and to lay hands on these people and pray as well?